have it memorized. I'm sure it isn't. I'm kidding. Let's see. I know the dates were right. You're right. Me. On Wednesdays, feed the homeless. Hey, I'm in that picture. I'm in that picture. Hey. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. There's dad. There's dad. And John. We found some pictures. Thought it'd be more. That's a long walk back in there, huh? You guys are gonna do Do you know what that's a picture of, though? That's a picture of generations of hard-headedness. Papa's in front of you. Papa's the one that makes us carry the water jug back there. Because he's hard-headed too, even if he doesn't admit it. Maybe you can't be showing that we're going to walk out. <laughs> Maybe. And then the Thursday, the 18th, is the next women's Bible study? That's close. Yep. Okay. I think. And then Saturday the 20th, but we should talk about during the week, huh? Mm-hmm. If you want to do something during the week. Hey, well, why don't you put a picture of the women's Bible study? Oh, that's a good one. one. Oh, yeah, I got nothing. I don't have anything for you tonight either. We'll start yeah. again when the kids go back to school in August. Yeah. Yes. Well, because then they can invite friends and stuff. We, and then summers are just busy. I think some of the stuff Yeah, is just summers busy. are busy. <laughs> huh. And we could change the night, too. We might have to. I was thinking about that. Well, as school starts, I think we all figure yeah. out because you guys are doing sports and yeah. We've done pretty good on like Thursday nights have been good, but I think there is things coming up with other people too, so we might swap it out. Yeah. The, other, the other thing I was gonna, I told Matt this week, I'm thinking when we're done with the book, I might do like a all on our own. We'll do a little women's retreat. Okay. Can I go? And then I think everybody signed up for the emails. I'm hoping you get them all. Kind of try and go through what we're doing for the week. You're not on the list? Send me your email address. I'll put you on the list. Neither am I. Send me your email address. I'll put you on the list. Okay. Well, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7, but let's pray before we go there. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the work that you do in each one of our lives. I'm thankful for the ways that you guide and provide for us, the way that you love us. Jesus, I'm thankful for your sacrifice on the cross, that you're willing to take away and forgive each and every one of our sins every time we ask you, no matter what they are, you love us that much. Just ask you would guide us to be a light and a witness to you this week that you would open our hearts to hear your words, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would tell others about the work that you've done in our lives. We would draw others to you, point others to to your power, to your glory. I'm thankful for the community that we live in. I guess you would watch over the leadership of our community, of our state, and of our nation, that you would draw them closer to you, guide them to make the decisions you want them to make. It's in Jesus' name that I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So, we are in Romans chapter 7. We'll 
Today we'll be starting in verse 14. Last week we did the first part of chapter 7 and we learned that um, the law points out what is good and what is right and then the enemy uses that against us to try and get us to do things that aren't good and aren't right. And we looked at how that worked for Adam and Eve, that the, God pointed out what the law was, don't eat from the fruit of the tree and good, of the knowledge of good and evil. And why? Because God didn't want you to know the knowledge of evil when he first created it, that everything was good. But that the serpent deceived Eve and got her to think of something, you know, that this is good, this is what you need, um, until she took that that bite until she ate that fruit and realized it wasn't, realized she'd been deceived, right? And that's what the enemy does still to this day, deceives us into to sin. Um, we related it to different types of addiction, people who are addicted to things, you know, they think that they need this, whatever it is. We had a friend that was addicted to tanning at one point in their lives, you know, so there's many types of addictions that, that people go through. We, we think that we need this, I need this, until you've had it, and then you realize that no, this is a, another lie, another facade. I've been tricked again. That I don't really need this. This wasn't good for me. wasn't good for my life. So, and the enemy does that. And then we looked at at Balaam and Balak and the talking donkey. Shrek was not the original talking donkey, huh? That's right. <laughs> we looked at the story of Balaam and Balak, and how Balaam could do nothing but but bless God's people and, and speak blessings. Every time Balak wanted him to curse them, he would end up blessing them instead. But Balaam, the enemy knew where he was weak and he was weak. He wanted to get paid. He wanted money. And so he conceived a plan to help Balak deceive the people of Israel, deceive them by sending their women to their town to get them to worship their God. And in that regards, he got paid by Balak and caused God's people to sin and caused all these blessings. God wanted good for his people, wanted to continue to bless them, and he caused hardship to come down on them. Where many were killed because of the plague, because of their sin. So, the enemy knows what the law is, and the enemy uses that against us. That's what Paul made clear to us last week. And we've kind of learned that. But in chapter 6, he told us that, that we're no longer a slave to sin, that we're dead to sin. Sin has no power over us. The enemy has no power over us. The enemy was defeated on the cross. So the enemy is powerless, like a toothless lion, right? Toothless, clawless lion. Can't hurt you, but yet we give it this power. That's by our own doing. So, And that's what Paul's going to go further into now. Here in, in this part of chapter 7, that the... The power that the enemy has now is because it's the power we give it. We buy into it. We have a choice. We can either believe God and his word, or we can believe what the enemy tells us and the lies. So, we'll pick it up here in chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly, sold into bondage, into bondage to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing. For I am not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. However, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. 
And I would say to you at this point, these three verses, this is Paul's life. He's looking back at his life before Christ because he says that I'm sold into a bondage of sin. I'm a slave to sin, that it has a power over me that I can't break. And we know that Jesus freed us from those sins. So this slave to sin, you know, this bondage, you know, I kind of think of his, his chains shackled on your hands and leading you away, leading you where you don't want to go. There's a saying that says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. And it's very true. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> and the other reason I tell you that these three verses Paul's writing, this is his life before Jesus, is because we're told back in chapter 6 that we're no longer a slave to sin, that in Christ he frees us from that, that must-sin mentality that we have, this chains that we're shackled to, um, that we've willingly shackled, our, shackled ourselves to. Um, and to me, this speaks of my life before, before Jesus, for sure. The life I was living was not a good life. Um, why do I do the things I don't want to do, do the things I hate? I knew that the life I was living was wrong, but it couldn't get away from it. It was more powerful than me. So, um, and it also speaks to the fact that self-will, the people, I'm going to will myself not to do this anymore. I'm going to will myself to, to change. But self-will isn't enough. Because Paul had lots of self-will. If we want to talk about stubborn, hard-headed people, Paul would be on that list. So his will by himself was not enough. He needed something outside of that. Um, and what he's pointing to is, what he's alluding to is that he needs Jesus. He needs Jesus in his life. And we'll see that here in verse 17. So, verse 17, but now no longer am I, but now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. For now, for I know the good does not dwell in me. It is in my flesh. That is, <laughs> start over, on verse 18, for I know that good does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. So now Paul's changed the context, but now, no longer now, his life in Christ, no longer is it a slave, but he still has a battle in his life. He still has this sinful desires. They call it the flesh. Um, that The flesh inside of him, the old sinful nature, still wants to go back and live that life. Um, and that there's this war going on between him. Now, Paul's been set free. He, he's a, a believer in Christ. He has, sin has no power over him. But the enemy's not going to give up easily. Not just going to let him go. The enemy's going to lie to him and tell him that, no, this is who you are. God really can't forgive you for your sins. God really isn't going to um, give you eternal life. Not you. Not after all the things you've done. You know, the enemy is going to continue to lie to him. And our own sinful desires. We still have a desire to sin. You know, sin is tempting, otherwise no one would do it. Sin is pleasurable for a season, the Bible says. Um, and that's what it is. It, we have this war between us, this war in our minds, and, and Paul's going to speak more to that, that 
there's this battle, this, I want to do good. I want to follow God, but I also still have this old desire to, to continue on in sin, but I'm no longer a slave to it. I'm no longer bound to it. I'm no longer in chains being led away. It's not out of my control by any means. Um, and I believe that, that these verses from, from 18 to 23, I think that that's Paul speaking, not at his current state, you know, for he says the good that I want to do, I, he doesn't do any good. Well, at this point in Paul's life, Paul's done quite a few good things, quite a few things to advance the gospel, to advance the good news of Jesus. So I would say to you that these verses from 18 to 23 is Paul speaking as a new believer, that he still has this major struggle with sin um, in his life. And not that when we become believers, we become sinless, but we do sin a lot less. So here in verse 20, but if I do the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person. So I think of the reason I would say that these verses here from 18 to 23 or, or his life as a new believer, I can relate that back to my life. And, and one of the things, there are many egregious sins that, that went away from me right away, almost instantly when I became a believer. But there was some that took longer. And the one that I remember the most that took the longest was my foul mouth. I had an awful mouth. I mean, everything I said was a cuss word. And I can remember thinking, God, this is never going to go away. You know, you've made all these other changes in my life, but this one, no, this one's not. And it still comes up. My anger, my temper still flares up, but not like it used to. Not like it did before. But I can remember thinking that this one still has a hold over me. This one has a power over me. And it wasn't true. It wasn't that I couldn't change. Sin had no power over my life at that point, but that I allowed it to. That my mind allowed and said, nope, that's who I am. I'm a construction worker. This is how they talk. This is just what it is. But eventually God would take that away from me. He would show me that he is more powerful than that sin in my life. That he's more powerful than the lies that the enemy feeds me. And really what it came down to is I had spent a lifetime of feeding sin into my heart. And Jesus said in Luke 6.45, um, for his mouth speaks that which fills his heart. And my mouth was speaking what should fill my heart. I spent a lifetime of watching movies or spending time with people who spoke that way, who talked that way, and I'd fill my heart with that. And my mouth was speaking the abundance of my heart. So what we need to do at that point is change what we feed ourselves. And that was a, a big change in my life, was changing what I fed myself. What do I watch? What do I, who do I spend time with? Um, what do I perceive as good? What I put into my mouth. You can't spend time with things, with people, with friends, with different situations, and it not influence you. It's going to influence you. It's going to get into your heart and out of your heart. Maybe not all the time, but when the, the chips are down, when your stress level is high, you'll get to see the abundance of your heart. Right? So... We'll continue on in verse 23. 
But I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law which is in my body parts. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? So here we see again that it's making me a prisoner. Well, that kind of leads me to think, well, I'm being led away. I have no power over this. I can't control it. But that's not what Paul's saying here. He's not, the word that he uses back in, in verse 16, where he says that he's in bondage, that's a different word. And that, that means what it, it says, that he's in bondage. He's chained to the sin willingly. You know, I can remember thinking in my younger years, you know, if there's no beer in heaven, I really don't want to go. So I'm willingly chaining myself to that sin, right? I'm allowing that to happen. It's not out of my control. I walked into this slowly but surely throughout my life. I made one decision that led me further away from God after another, after another, after another. So it's not something that happens. It's out of my control. I willingly chain myself to these sins. But here we read that the law in his mind, this war in his mind, that the enemy is making him a prisoner. But I don't think that's quite right. I don't think that's the, the right interpretation. And, and if I look it up in the, the New Living Translation, it makes it sound even worse. It says that I'm a slave to sin. You, know, you still have that slave. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Because in verse 17, Paul said, but now, but now in Christ... There's still this battle in my mind, but I'm no longer in bondage. I'm no longer chained to it. Jesus has set me free. And the word that, that, that we're looking at, the one that, that says that he'll be a prisoner, is this word, and I, I was practicing how to pronounce it, and it's very long and lengthy and I can't do it, but it's, it's something, it's, it's, a, it's a Hebrew, no, it's a Greek word, but it's... Uh, <laughs> It's up there on the screen. And the definition, one of the definitions, there's two. But one of them is, it's a metaphor to capture one's mind, to captivate. And you see this a couple of other places in the New Testament. One is where God's telling us to captivate our mind for the things of good, for the things of God, to hold on to those. So it's a choice. Um, The other place that you see this verse is in 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 6. For among them are those who slip into households and captivate weak women weighed down by sins, led on by various impulses. And what they're talking about here, what Timothy's talking about, he's talking about the end times, that men will do all these things, and that that's those, those who slip into to households and captivate um, to, to capture one's mind. And what comes to my mind, or what I thought through when I was, was putting this together, was at one point in Shannon's, next door to Shannon's salon was a massage place. But it wasn't really a massage place. It was a prostitution ring. And they'd gotten, gotten busted. And it didn't take them very long. They were pretty bold about it. So they come in with all their black cars, you know, the, the FBI and whoever else is involved and, and bust it. And I can remember Shannon telling me about it. And she said that one of the girls was sitting there on the curb and she's talking to one of the officers and says, you know, well, what will happen to her? And the officer tells her that, well, we'll offer him help and to get out. But inevitably 
they'll go back into this life. And you think, well, if they were held captive in this, they're forced into this, this is their opportunity to get free. But mentally, their minds have been held captive thinking that, no, this is who they are, that they'll never get out of this, that this is who they are. So they're no longer physically bound to it, but mentally they've put themselves back into that, that they'll never be better than this. And so that's how I relate this verse in 16 where he says that we're in bondage. Well, you're physically in bondage to the sins, but Jesus has freed you from those. But now after he's freed us, that this prisoner part that, that he's talking about isn't a prisoner where we're held captive by chains, but we're putting ourselves in that prisoner's role. We're putting ourselves there saying, no, the enemy's right. I'll never be anything other than what I am. You know, that the, I'll always go back to that life. That that's who I am. That really I'm no good. Really I can't be forgiven. Really I've done all these awful things that God can never love me. And that we put ourselves back there willingly. So before Christ, we're led away in chains. Chains that we put on ourselves. But afterwards, there's this idea that we can be led away willingly. That we can walk into it. No chains that are dragging us along that we can walk into that sin. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's making this distinction here. What the life was before Christ, but even afterwards, there's still this war to sin. There's this war in our minds that that battles. And what it really comes down to is, do we believe God at his word, or do we believe the lies that the enemy tells us? So... Let's finish the, the chapter though here. So finishing off here, we'll go back to verse 24. So wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. So who will set him free from this body of death? Jesus will. Thank you to God that you sent us Jesus. You sent your son to pay the penalty for our sins. And we studied this earlier that in chapter 6, that sin has no more power over us, that we're no longer a slave to sin, that the rulers of this world, the principalities, the spiritual rulers have no power over us that they have no power at all, actually, that they were defeated, rendered powerless by Jesus' death on the cross because he was a sinless man that went to paid the penalty of sin, which is death, but sin couldn't hold him because he had committed no sin. So the, the rulers of this world are defeated. They have no power over us. Sin has no power over us. Thank you, God, for sending your son to pay our price. And that he removes the sin from our record. We went over that. It's not just he forgives, but he removes it from our record. He never brings it up again. Never holds it over us. And we learned that how does that happen? Well, God explained that he nailed our sins to the cross. That our sins were taken away. He knew all the sins we would commit before we ever committed them. And he nailed them all to the cross. He's taken them all away. Our record is wiped clean. And we got to see that when he talked about Abraham and Abraham's life, and how faithful he was. And then we went back and read, well, he wasn't faithful. He didn't believe God. He laughed at God. He bowed his head and laughed in disbelief, and that he wanted to, to help God out, because God couldn't figure it out on his own. So Abraham said, no, I'll, 
my son Ishmael will be the son of the promise. And God corrected him, no, 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 you will have a son from Sarah. So we read about that, but then in the New Testament, we read that he was faith, faithful. He never lost faith. And how can that be explained? That can only be explained because his sins, his faithless was taken out on the cross. And it was wiped clean from his record. God never held it over him again. And he does the same for us. He wipes our record clean. That we are truly washed white in the blood of Jesus. Which is a, a concept that I can't get around. You think of a white garment and washing it in blood. It's not going to be white when you're done. No matter how much bleach you use, right? So, but that's not how God works. By the blood of Jesus, our sins are wiped clean. So, We've gone through, there's a spiritual battle. We're no longer chained to sin, but it still doesn't make us, make it easy for us. The enemy is very persuasive, very tempting, very manipulative. Um, but God doesn't just leave us there, just say, oh, my son died for you. You know, you have all the things you need, figure it out. No, God helps us each step of the way. And we won't go into a whole lot of detail, but we are going to go to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. We're going to look at where the battle is, that the battle is a spiritual battle, and we're going to look at the tools that God has given us to fight this spiritual battle. So Ephesians chapter 6, and we've been through this before. I mean, this is where God explains to us that the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's, it's against principalities, forces of the unseen world. That It's a spiritual battle. And then, after he explains to us how the battle works, what the battle is, he explains to us what we need to do to engage in it and what type of engagement we're supposed to do. And that's what we're going to look through here. So, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we're told to be strong, be strong in his might, be strong in the Lord, not on our own strength, not because of our own doing, because of him, that he has it handled, that we need to trust in him, be strong in him, put our faith, our belief in him. That's the first thing we're told to do. Then we're told to put on the full armor of God, not part of it, but the full armor of God, and to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Not to advance, but to stand firm. We're not to, to go and attack. We won't go to it, but in Jude, verse 9, there's only one chapter in Jude. In verse 9, he explains that there was a, a battle for Moses' body. Moses led the Israelites out of captivity, but wasn't able to lead them into the promised land because of sin in his life. Um, and he died before the Israelites, Israelites entered into the promised land. But when he died, we read in the Old Testament, we don't read what happened afterwards. But here in Jude, verse 9, 
God explains to us what happened afterwards. And afterwards, there was a battle between Michael, the archangel, and the devil, and it was over Moses' body. And God makes it very clear that while they argued over Moses' body, Michael did not pronounce an abusive judgment against the devil when they were arguing. He just said, may the Lord rebuke you. So you hear this talk, this goes on that I'm going to rebuke the devil. I'm going to tell him, you know, this, that, or the other. And, and God says, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. Even Michael, my archangel, didn't do that. You know, the Lord will handle it. So we're not to advance. I think that's an important thing. We're not to be advancing in this fight against the devil. We're just to stand firm, right? We're to stand firm. God does the advancing. We're to stand firm. And that's important because he's going to tell us that a few more times. And it's important too, again, that the battle's not against flesh and blood. It is against the principalities, the forces, this spiritual battle. That the battle is not against any person or person group, right? And oftentimes people want to, to, to get there um, and, and go after a group of people or a person and they want to do it in the name of God or what the Bible says, and that's just not true. That's not what God is saying here. The battle is not against flesh and blood. He makes it very clear. We'll continue on in verse 13. So therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. So twice we've been told, to put on the full armor of God. The full armor, not part of it, but everything that we're listing here. And three times we've been told to stand firm, not to advance, to stand firm, right? So that's important. First, he tells us that we're to, to be truth. We're to speak truth. We're, truth is to, we're to belt ourselves, our waste in truth, that our lives are to be true, that when people are to look back they should be able to trust in us. That's the first thing. That's where it starts. If you can't trust someone, after that, everything else is kind of worthless, right? But trusting in, in us is as important as believers. So the first thing is our lives should be truthful. What we say should be true. And that's something that everyone struggles with. I can't think of anyone who hasn't told a lie ever, right? It's something we all struggle with to be true. Second, we are to choose to live lives of righteousness, to put on that breastplate of righteousness. And righteousness is being in a right standing with God, in a right relationship with God. It's a choice. Um, we should be quick to ask for forgiveness when we sin. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. But we should be quick to get back in that right standing with God. And the way we do that is asking God to, one, acknowledge that we've sinned, to confess our sins to him, and then, two, to repent God, please forgive me for being angry. God, please forgive me for lying. God, please forgive me for my mouth. God, please forgive me for whatever sins are in our lives, right? And now, here at the end of verse 15, we're finally told to advance. But we're not to advance against the enemy, 
what are we told to advance in? We're told to advance in sharing the gospel, the gospel of peace, right? To go out to all the nations in peace with the good news of Jesus Christ, with his sacrifice, the news that he sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. That's the advancement we're to take. Not this battle against the enemy, but we're to stand firm against the enemy, but we're to go out and advance the good news, to share with others the peace. And what is the peace of God? It's not the peace and absence of conflict, but it's a peace to go through the conflict, a peace while you're in the midst of conflict. That's the peace that Jesus offers. And we're to go out and do that in peace. We're not to go out and, and yell at people and force them into the, to believing the gospel. That doesn't work. We're to go out in peace, in love, and to share the good news. So, continuing on in verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With every prayer request, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. So we just read in Romans that the battle is in our mind. And I would say to you that the, that's what God is talking about here. The battle is in our mind. These fiery, these fiery arrows from the evil one come in the way of thoughts in our mind. Lies to us that we can't be this. We can't be forgiven. That we can't do this work that God's called us to. That we can't truly love our friends. Um, that we can't truly love our enemies. All these things that that the the enemy wants to lie and tell us things that aren't true, tell us things that we're not, right? And it comes in these fiery darts. And what are we to do? We're to put hold up the shield of faith. And what is it? Faith. Faith is believing in God. So we talked about this just a few minutes ago. We have the choice. We can believe God at His word that He is who He says He is. That the things He asks us to do, we can do in His strength, in His power. Or we can believe the eyes from the the lies from the enemy. That's the two options we have. There is no in between. There's no neutral ground, right? There's no I'm a good person. We're living our lives for God, or we're living our lives against God. We've been over that. So, the shield of faith is believing God. Believing God, I believe I am who you say I am. I am your child. I am chosen by you. I am loved by you. I will never be abandoned or forsaken. That. You care deeply for me, that you truly forgive all of my sins, no matter what they are. And we've been over that. The only sin that was unforgivable was the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what that really was, was your unbelief in Jesus. That's the only unforgivable sin. Every other sin is forgivable, the Bible says. So believing that, believing God at his word. That's that that shield of faith. And then we're told to take the helmet of salvation, right? And we've been over this. The helmet of salvation, once you're saved, you can never lose your salvation. God doesn't come into our lives and then walk away from us when we screw up or when we fall short. God's with us forever. And that's that helmet of salvation. The enemy can't kill us, can't spiritually defeat us. You know, We may die physically, but we will have eternal life with God. And that's what that helmet of salvation is speaking of. The enemy can't do anything to separate you from God. From his love. There is no power that can do that. The Bible makes that clear. So, and then we're told to pray. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one. We're told to 
to pick up the, the spirit, the sword, the word of God. And we should be. We should be in God's word every day. We should be reading, you know, even if it's just five minutes. Just five minutes of our day, spend time reading the few verses that we have and see the work that God will do, the difference that he'll make in our lives, how he'll speak to us, how he'll guide us through his word. Um, and it's important. That's what we want to know. The ideas, the thoughts that come into our head, should I follow, is this from God or, or is this from the enemy? Well, does it line up with God's word? That's how we know. And the only way we know what God's word says is we get into it. We read his word. We bring it into our lives, bring it into our hearts. Instead of bringing all those evil things into our hearts, you know, the abundance of our heart is speaking, we can bring good things. We can bring God's word into our hearts, into our lives, that he can transform us, that he can change us through his word. And then we're told to pray. We're told to pray and to pray at all times, to always be praying. You know, and we can. We can be praying out loud you know, when it's appropriate. When then we can be praying in our heads always. As we're driving down the road, as we're in a meeting, as we're on a phone call, whatever it is, we can be praying, God, please help me. God, guide me. God, give me patience. God, grant me wisdom to make the right decisions here. God, help me to love my enemies, right? All these different things that we can be doing, that God can guide us in. So, And we're told to be praying in the Spirit, to pray at all times, to pray in the Spirit, to let the Spirit guide our prayers. And we'll get into that here in a minute. Um, and then we're also told to pray for others. And that's important. For every request, for all the saints, for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to be praying for them. Um, so we send out an email and it's got the prayers on it at the bottom. And I'd encourage you to pray that, pray through that, pray for other people. And what does that do? That gets our mind off of ourselves, off of our current situation, and it puts us in, into others, to pouring into others, and not focusing, God, can you help me with this or that, or it's all about me. No, God, please help this person. Please heal this person. Please guide the doctors for this. Come alongside this person. When we're praying for others, we're taking our eyes off of ourselves, which they should be anyways. Our eyes should be on God, right? So it's important. We take eyes off of ourselves. We pray for others. No. Next, I want to do want to go. Um, let's go to Galatians chapter five, verse sixteen. We'll spend a, a few minutes there, but just we want to look at the the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives in this spiritual battle. So God gives us the His armor, right? And we've gone through all the different pieces of His armor that. We need to be truthful. We need to be in right standing with God. Ask for forgiveness. That we need to put on the the helmet of salvation. That we need to pick up the sword, His word. That we need to spend time in prayer. All the different things that God has given us. All the tools to it to combat to to advance in this spiritual attack. But the other tool that He gives us is the Holy Spirit. And we'll want to take a look here. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, it is what is the Holy Spirit doing in our lives? God has given us the Holy Spirit too to guide us through this. So, so Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. So we're here we're told the choice is ours. We can either walk by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and then we won't carry out the desires of the flesh. But the two can't live together. Light and darkness can't live together. When we're walking in the Spirit, when we're following His leading and guiding, that we, will be, we won't have the desires of the flesh, we won't be carrying those out. That we're either walking with God or we're walking against God. That the choice is ours to believe in him, to follow him, or to continue to live the lives that, that look appealing, look desirable, but truly aren't, that truly want to kill us. We'll continue on here in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There is no law against doing good. But Paul makes it clear that those make a habit of practicing evil will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I would say to you that those that make a habit of practicing evil do not have Christ in them, are not living in Christ, are choosing that, choosing to, to, to deny Christ, that he's not really God, that I don't need him in my life. I would rather have these other sinful things. And Paul lists out quite a few sinful things that could be in our lives. And then to finish off here in verse 24. So now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's not fall, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So, the Spirit can guide us. The Spirit is, is a, there's a war between the Spirit and our flesh. And the Spirit's not going to give up easy. The Spirit's going to guide us, going to convict us to make the right decisions, to make the decisions that draw us closer to God. So, for those who belong to Christ Jesus... Our sinful desires, our sinful passions were crucified to the cross. He was taken out on the cross. They have no power over us. We've been over that. Um, But it's our choice. It's our choice to either walk and follow the leading of the Spirit or to follow the desires of our sinful nature. The choice is ours. Um, Let's jump over and we'll finish up and jump over to Romans chapter 5 verse 3. Um, and just look at at who has the Holy Spirit in them 
is what we want to look at here. Um, so, and this will just be a, a quick verse, quick few verses. And then we will finish up in Ephesians chapter 1. But we want to look at here, who has the Holy Spirit living in them? So Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring out perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. So God has given us, all believers here, the Holy Spirit. And that when we're going through these, these tough times, that the Holy Spirit is there to lead us, to guide us. But it's not in vain that it produces things. That the, the tribulations we go through produce this perseverance, produce this character, and produce this hope. And what is the hope? This hope doesn't disappoint. It's not like the hope of the world. Yeah, I got my fingers crossed, I hope. No, God's hope is a guarantee. We place our hope in Him, that we will have eternal life, that we will be forgiven for of our sins, that our slate will be wiped clean. That's the hope that we have in God. So, and most importantly, that the Holy Spirit, who is given to us, is a gift from God to lead us, to guide us, and it's for all believers. And like I say, we'll finish off here in Ephesians chapter 1, 13, and look at when... Does the Holy Spirit come into our lives? So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is the first installment of our inheritance in regards to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So, when we believed in Jesus, we received the Holy Spirit. A better way to look at this is in, in the New Living Translation, which I'll pull that up here in a second. Um, but that the Holy Spirit is, is the first installment. The Holy Spirit is like a down payment. God's proving to us, everything I said will come true. And my proof of that is I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the Spirit to lead and guide you. That's my down payment. The rest will be paid in, you know, in full. Everything else I've promised you will happen. So, but looking at it, reading it in the New Living Translation, I think it just makes it very, just very clear. As to when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And now, you Gentiles, that's us, have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you. And when... You believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. So when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, his own special possession, his own child, and he gave you the Holy Spirit at that moment. So we received the Holy Spirit at the moment we asked Jesus into our lives. They go hand in hand. Um, and the battle is real. But God has given us all the tools that we need to fight the battle, to defend ourselves against the enemy. But the choice is ours. The choice is ours. Do we believe God and his word, his word, the Bible, or do we believe the lies of the enemy, the lies that tell us that we're something we're not? 
God tells us who we are, that we're his children, that we're chosen by him, that Jesus' sacrifice took out all of our sins on the cross, all of our past sins, all our present sins, and all our future sins, and that they're removed from our record, never to be brought up again when we ask him for forgiveness. We can choose to believe in that and walk in that truth, or we can choose to believe the lies of the enemies. Um, and I kind of relate it back to, to Joshua chapter 4, verse 15, you know, where Joshua is telling the Israelites, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve these false gods, these lies? Are you going to serve the enemy, or are you going to serve the God of Israel? And he says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's kind of what we have. It's our choice. Are we going to serve God? Are we going to walk in his truth? Are we going to pick up the, the armor that he's given us to wear? Are we going to use the tools that he's given us, the leading guy of the Holy Spirit? Or are we going to serve the lies of the enemy? And the truth is ours. So, with that, that's all I have. But it is the first Sunday of the month. Kennedy. It's the first Sunday of the month. So we're going to, we are going to do communion. And so as we, as we take communion, I do want to talk about what is communion, what does that mean, um, and why do we do it. And one of the places that we look at where we're told to, to take communion is, is in Luke chapter 22. Jesus himself gives us this command, uh, kind of starting here in verse 18. For I say to you, Oh, I'm sorry. Starting in verse 19. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is being given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant of my blood. So we do this in remembrance of, of Jesus, of his sacrifice on the cross, that the bread represents his body broken for us, and that the juice represents his blood that he shed for us, and that we do this to bring us back into remembrance. But also in, in Corinthians, we're told to examine ourselves before we take communion. Are we in that right relationship with God, that right standing? And that's not a I'm holier than thou place. That's a God, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. Um, I'm, I'm always drawn back to the story where Jesus tells about two people that went to the temple. One was a sinner and the other one was this, this religious man, this Pharisee. And the Pharisee goes into the temple and he goes off to pray and says, God, thank you for not making me a sinner. God, thank you for not making me like these other people. For I'm so holy, I'm righteous, I do all of these things for you. I fast twice a week, I give a, a tithe, I do all these things. And then Jesus contrasts that with the, the other man, the sinner, who won't even, look his, won't even lift his head up, won't even look to heaven, and just says, God, please forgive me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said that that man walked away justified, not the religious man, right? That Jesus came and he said he died for those who know they are sinners, not for those who think they are righteous. So this putting ourselves in a right relationship with God is, is one admitting, confessing that we are sinners, that we sin we fall short of his glory, but we ask him to forgive us, and he does every time. So in Corinthians, we're told before we take this that that's what we're to do. So we'll spend a few minutes just um, praying to ourselves and, and just putting ourselves in that right relationship with God. Please 
Forgive me for my sins, Lord. Draw me closer to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me the man or the woman that you've called me to be. I know that you have a plan and a purpose for me. Help me to, to live that out. So that's, the, that's what we'll do here. We'll spend some, a few minutes praying and then we'll just take communion on our own as, as you guys are ready. And, and then we'll finish up our service. Sound good? I'll turn on some music this time. And the other thing I usually pray for during communion is I usually pray for my family, for my marriage, all marriages. You know, we kind of learned last week that when God sets something up, God does good, and then the enemy wants to come against it. And that all marriages are, are from God. That's not a man-made thing. God defined marriage in the beginning with Adam and Eve, that the two should become one. So if God has set this up and, and ordained this, then he's going to come after it, Right. The enemy's, I'm sorry, the enemy's going to come after him. So praying for my family, praying for 
my children, for God to fill them with his Holy Spirit, to lead and guide them, to pray for my marriage, that God would draw both me and Shannon closer to him, and that he would bring us closer to each other, that I take my eyes off myself, and, and I put them on, on God and on my family, right? That's the other thing that I usually do during communion, so. With that, do we have any questions? Any other questions? Do you have questions? You usually have something to say. You usually have a lot to say. I will say, like the women's Bible study, lots of talking going on. It is so the men's Bible study, a little bit more quiet. So loud. It's so loud. It is so loud. We're upstairs, We're upstairs on the TV, and the TV's up a few like, more notches than it usually is because they are so loud. <laughs> That's right. And we're going to go on a retreat and get louder. Yeah. I'm going to scream from the top of your lungs. Oh, yeah. I'm going to put it up. I'm surprised you were doing that that one night. Yeah. Oh, I see women tend to talk more. I think men don't like you. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just, that's just the nature of women. Yeah. There's death said there's a certain amount of words that women have to get in a day, and it's true. She came home. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was talking in the car the whole time. Kind of funny. Well, I'm good. Should we pray? Okay. Do we have any other prayer requests before we start? I just have the praise. I told, I just am super a praise for um, my shop that you out. And I thank you for all the prayers that have happened. Because I really say how everything just went together, and it just, yep, 
exalting God. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I pray that no one gets hurt today. Oh, let's bust down some walls. Have fun. That's good. It's gonna be awesome. She wants to pray for her friend who has COVID and is asked to be. Who? Hey. She's having trouble swallowing. She's really freaking out. She's like, she has to get in autopsy. She was a tongue. <laughs> what's your friend's name? Kate. Yeah, what's her name? Kate? Yes. Kate? <laughs> push up. When is she when is she doing it? I don't know. It's coming up though. Yeah. Are you guys trying to leave? Okay. Let's pray. Okay. So they can leave. And I need prayer for my back. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, actually. Yeah. 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 Definitely like, pray for. He actually he's doing good today. Yeah. There's two days of like not walking normal. So when I was when I was like 14, I broke it. So and then it's, it's just, affecting him now. Oh yeah, it's affected me for a long time, but. But I've been going, I've been good. I've been going to the chiropractor and exercising, but for whatever reason, this week it got locked up. Not good. Not good. So. Makes him walk and shit. He's like, it's like this. <laughs> yeah. All hunched over. Crazy. So. All right. Well, dear Father, I just thank you for this time to come together to learn about you, about your son, about the ways that you guide and provide for us, the tools that you give us, the um, the power that you give us. That there's power in your son, Jesus. There's power in the, the work that was done on the cross. There's power in the blood that was shed for our sins. That there's power in your name. That you are all powerful. You are almighty. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to serve the almighty God. I ask you would work on each one of our hearts, draw us closer to you. I ask you would watch over and bring healing to Matt and his knees. You would bring healing and comfort and guidance for Tim. Um, that you would comfort Austin and Joey and Chris. Um, you would give patience and wisdom and strength for Cherry and her family, for for Randy, for David, for Greg, for Cherry and Shannon and Julie and Leanne. You would guide them, bring peace to David. That you would. Bring healing to Christina's heart. You would guide the doctors. You bring healing to Tyler's shoulder. You would bring healing to Rodney's back. Um, we pray that you would bring healing to Leslie's eyes. That you would guide the doctors in their treatment there. Um, you continue to bring healing to Sparky. That you would bring healing to Bonnie and wisdom for the doctors as they provide treat as they go through what treatments to do. Um, and then we pray that you would guide those that are going through PTSD the, and the EMDR counseling, that you would bring your peace, your patience to them, that you would help them through that, especially those first two weeks. Um, Lord, I ask you to give us the right words to speak, 
I'm thankful for helping us with the salon, helping us close out that chapter. I ask that you would watch over Katie and her procedure, that you would guide the doctors, that you would give them skillful hands to perform it well. I ask you would bring healing to my back, that you would keep everyone safe today, that you would give us the right words to speak this week to those around us, that we would encourage each other, other believers, in love and in good deeds. You would watch over the sheriff's department, that you would keep them safe, the Elizabeth Police Department and all the surrounding departments. Keep them safe physically, keep them safe spiritually. Watch over their families, protect them. And that you would guide us to a church to come alongside in the South Sudan or uh, in Uganda. That you're, you would be working all that out, orchestrating that. Your will would be done. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 All right. Can we sing a one last song? Are you guys leaving? Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. It's getting late. Mm-hmm.